Welcome back to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast, everybody. This is episode 91, our back half of the week episode for you, where we get to preview a bunch of games coming up this weekend. I know you're hearing this on College Football Saturday, glorious morning. Hope you're having a great time watching some games. We're going to talk about those games, but first we got some news. And if my co-hosts are ready, I say we go ahead and dive on in. Let's do it, man. Let's dive right on in. I'm ready. I'm ready for news. I'm ready for football. That was a MF and SpongeBob reference. Nailed it. <laughs> Let's just get into the news, man. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not talking about the Bears. Uh, believe it or not, we're talking about Washington football team, who's going through some crazy stuff at the moment. So bad, in fact, that Congress has stepped in now and wants a piece of the action. They're going to look at the emails themselves. This is absolutely insane, and I hope Dan Snyder finally gets some kind of punishment out of this because, man, he seems like he's been running just an absolute shit show for decades. There are things I want to say, but I probably shouldn't, so I won't. But, uh, yeah, Washington football team, you played yourselves. Congratulations. You know, every week I am just impressed that he is still allowed to own the uh, Washington football team. Uh, and then he still does. So I, at this point with Congress getting involved, maybe that's all about to change. That, you know, maybe he's not going to be the only one that's fucked by this. So that's really what I'm hoping for. And if you've seen some of John Gruden's comments uh, today since this news has come out, he certainly thinks that's going to be the case as well. So here's hoping. Yeah, I don't think there are too many hands that actually are clean in this. So I got to say, if Jeff Bezos really is looking to buy an NFL team, which has been rumored for years now, it seems like, this is an absolute mastermind play. He's tanking their stock before he buys low. This is just 8,000 IQ play by Jeff Bezos. The only thing is I've still heard him only link to Denver. I don't know why it's Denver, but I've only heard him link to Denver. I don't know either because I've never heard that from anyone other than you. (laughs) But let's talk about some other stuff going on in the NFL. We had some signings this week that are pretty interesting. Um well, I say interesting, but there's some kickers. So, <laughs> Riley Patterson to the Patriots, and Chris Blewett to Washington football team. Congratulations. Got yourself some new kickers. That's, that's going to be so much fun when he screws up a kick. He's like, oh, he blew it. It's perfect. Thanks. I, I hate you. I appreciate, I appreciate okay. all, of, all of the happiness and excitement <laughs> I brought to you guys. I will say, uh, also signed yesterday was a guy by the name of Geronimo Allison, a wide receiver going to the Lions. That's pretty cool. Like that. Big fan of that name. Used to play for Green Bay Packers, if you recognize it there, Bug. Yeah, um, he, he was okay with the Packers, too. So I'm surprised that he's been a free agent for this long or on the you know on the practice squad for the Packers. Obviously, don't know exactly what he was doing, but either way, it's uh, it's kind of crazy to me that he's just now finding a home. 
No, he was a free agent. He played for the Lions for like two, three games last year, and then was a free agent up until now. So really wild because I agree. I remember him being pretty decent a couple of years ago. Another guy who was decent a couple of years ago, Desmond Trufant, just got picked up by the Las Vegas Raiders. He was fantastic for like three, four seasons down in Atlanta. I think it'll help the Raiders, but I don't know how much it's going to help them. I don't think it's going to help them as much as they think it's going to help them. I don't hate the signing, though. Tied in Travis Toivonen. We talked about him earlier this year uh, in relation to the FCF because he was in the first iteration of the FCF. He started at North Dakota. That's where I went to school, then played in the FCF, obviously. Was on was a member of the Seahawks for the preseason, was then cut, and he has now been signed to the New York Giants foot the New York football giants practice squad. And hey, I I think he honestly is legitimately a injury or two away, which I hate saying that, but they've seen something in him that they thought was worth bringing him aboard. And I'm you know, can't help but be excited for the dude. He definitely was excited on Twitter. And, of course, all the FCF accounts were excited for him as well. So you can't help but be excited for a guy like that. Yeah, certainly happy for him. You know, I hope we see more of that kind of thing. These spring leagues are kicking up for a reason. There are some really talented guys out there that just need a little bit more time to develop, maybe a little bit more tape out there. So good to see. One other signing to talk about, Whitney Merciless was released by the Texans. This one isn't official yet, but he is expected to sign with Green Bay Packers. Crazy defensive end that used to be like one of the most feared names on defense. And then he got hurt a lot. And uh, his name is still really cool, so people remember it. But other than that, I don't know. I don't know how good he's going to be for the Packers. He has three sacks this season already, so it's a little bit of surprise that he got cut. But with all of his injury history and the Texans obviously in a big rebuild, makes some sense. Still, interesting to see big names like that on the move. Uh, smaller name on the move, Jacob Eason, going to the Seahawks, claimed off of waivers. That's not Cam Newton. Right? <laughs> That's about as opposite of Cam Newton as you can get. It is kind of cool, though. Local guy went to school at Washington. So, you know, going back to the Seattle area, kind of well, cool. He started at Georgia and then transferred to Washington. So Washington was always his second choice. And his second <laughs> NFL team now. <laughs> um, speaking of quarterbacks, I'll talk about Baker Mayfield real quick because, dude, just doesn't have a shoulder anymore, apparently, and yet still wants to play football. <laughs> so that's pretty wild. But yeah, Case Keenum is starting today as we're recording this and not looking too bad, although he's probably not going to be asked to throw all that much. Um, they still do have a running game in Cleveland. It's kind of what they do now, so that's cool. And last story of the NFL. When do you guys want to take this one? Pretty wild story. So this one was kind of crazy. I, I just came across this. Dwayne Smoot, he had to deliver his baby in his house. His wife went into labor, and they weren't even able to make it to the car. He called the EMTs, and they were able to talk him through, you know, getting the umbilical cord clipped, all that stuff. Mom and baby are doing fine. Really a great ending to this story. 
And, man, what a week for Dwayne Smoot. Hopefully the Steelers can follow it up with a win. thought he played for Jacksonville. He does play for Jacksonville. That's my bad. I, all I could remember <laughs> was the black, The last picture I saw was the black jersey and the black helmet, and so I thought Steelers for some reason. He is. He does play for Jacksonville. No, it was just it's memorable because that was the only good news to come out of Jacksonville for, like, a long time. A win in London doesn't count, so... <laughs> I said we jump on into some college news here. We'll start off with uh, the developing story of Washington State and Nick Rolovic. He is apparently suing the college now, saying the athletic director was vindictive and didn't take his religious exemption request seriously. I don't know the veracity of his claim. But if that is true, that is a real legal issue. I understand suing them, but it's it's such a weird, weird case. I don't know who's even going to want to touch it because this is so politicized at this point. This is this is a rough one. So here's the deal. You're right. He's making a claim based on religious uh, exemptions, and that's that's fantastic uh, for him. If that's what he wants to base it on, that's cool. I still see this case having way more further-reaching effects than what he's intending uh, because he is a public employee, and this happens all the time with these questionable mandates about can the government actually do that. This is going to be a case that doesn't actually get decided at the state level. Like The state state court's going to make a decision – and either side is going to appeal it, and it's going to go all the way up. That's how this is going to go, and this could have up to Supreme Court impacts on the rest of the United States. My prediction here, not saying it's going to, it has the potential for it. That would certainly be wild, especially considering this is a gubernatorial mandate. So I think Washington's state Supreme Court would probably be better suited to end up handling this one. The United States Supreme Court might be in a weird spot with that. I don't know. It's now we're getting into some other territory. I don't even want to get into here. This is a football podcast. We're talking about the head coach, Washington State, suing his old school now. Former head coach, Washington State. Wild times we live in. Let's go, Brandon. So the stuff that we talked about with the American Athletic Conference last week, they were adding six new schools out of Conference USA. Well, that's official now. They have been accepted into the conference already by declaration, but not like they're not going to play in the American this season or anything. That's going to be 2023, and that's about the time Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston are leaving. So that makes plenty of sense. Both American Commissioner Mike Oresco and the chairman of the board of directors, which is Tulane's president, Michael Fitz, made separate announcements today talking about the great additions to the American bug as our resident Memphis fan and therefore American conference fan. What do you think about these additions? So I'm kind of going crazy because Memphis fans are losing their fucking mind about this. Before you keep going, I just want to reiterate what those teams are because if somebody missed our last episode, we're talking about Florida Atlantic, Charlotte, North Texas, UTSA, um, UAB, and 
North Texas. I said North Texas, I think. Rice? Charlotte? Rice. There that we was go. It. I missed, missed rice. rice. Yep. We got there eventually. Six teams, and that's it's pretty wild. I'm going to take the American all the way up to 14. I don't know. When you, when you start ranking the group of five conferences, the American has supplanted itself at the top for a good minute. And then you've got the debate between the Mountain West and the Sun Belt, Conference USA and the MAC. Really, two, three are between Mountain West, Sun Belt. Three or four, five are between the Sun or Conference USA and the MAC. Typically, that's how people see it. Everybody now is saying that with this move and with the departure of Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati, that meant that the American Athletic Conference is somehow going to become the third best group of five conference, and I just don't see it. Everybody's sitting here saying, oh, well, you know, the Mountain West, they've got Boise, they've got Nevada, they've got San Diego State, and I'm like, I don't, I'm like, what are you talking about? The fact of the matter is, yes, Charlotte is not the best team in the world. Rice is not the best team in the world. But there's already teams like that in the American Athletic Conference right now. ECU hadn't been good since we since ECU and Memphis and everybody else came together and became the American Athletic Conference. The thing that really gets me is, oh, is Conference USA 2.0, Conference USA 2.0. Really, if you want to go down that road, it's Conference USA 3.0 because the American was 90% made of Conference USA teams. Because even Cincinnati and Louisville, who were already in the Big East, had come from Conference USA as well. Louisville, of course, got out, I think, two years into it. But it's just it just doesn't make sense. You're looking at UTSA, who is the top team in Conference USA and in the top 25 nationally. You're looking at FAU, who, by the way, was just in a bowl game last year against Memphis. There's They're bringing enough talent that... I don't know that you can really sit here and say that this is a bad move. As far as the conference as a whole, this was the best move for the conference for the American Athletic Conference because otherwise they would be in the position that Conference USA is in. There's nothing desirable about the American Athletic Conference for teams in the Sun Belt to go to. As far as competition, the only thing that is beneficial is the TV deal they have with ESPN. Nothing else is really appealing to those Sunbelt teams to go to the American. It's a jump up for Conference USA teams. Mountain West, it's too far. It doesn't make any sense for any Mountain West teams to want to really, truly be interested. I know we talked about Colorado State and Air Force a couple weeks ago. Overall, I like this move. I, I still think that the American is the... I'll, I'll I'll bend a little bit and say they're probably going to be the second best at least for a little bit. But these teams are the the bad teams are eventually going to get their feet underneath them, and the good teams are going to continue to be good and continue to succeed. The sky is not falling on the American Athletic Conference like some people would want you to believe. So I will push back on you just a smidge, <laughs> according to the BDT ratings. The American is even currently the third best group of five conference. But the Mountain West, Sunbelt, and the American are all better than the Pac-12. So take that, <laughs> take that for what you will. 
<laughs> and the you know the the other big thing that people keep pointing to is like oh well you know UCF, Cincy, and Houston like they're all benefiting. They're going to the Big Twelve. Nobody's going to care about the Big Twelve when OU and Houston and OU and Texas are gone because Oklahoma State eventually is going to have a bad team and people are going to stop caring. And then your next biggest school is Baylor. Who cares about Baylor? This would be a very different conversation if Ohio State hadn't jumped TCU for that first ever college football playoff. You might care about the Horned Frogs a little bit more. But, you know, what do you think, Tug? Anything to add on this? I'm actually currently looking through a bunch of these uh, TV deals here because Ben brought up something that makes the Mountain West invitees very interesting to me. Okay, so the American would have provided an additional five to six million per year annually for for these. So I was wondering if that was the reason that these Mountain West teams didn't move is if they were if it was about equal payouts, then why would these Mountain West teams, you know, move to go, you know, drive further? It's not. It would have been more to join the American. Well, right now it would have been more, but the thinking is with Cincinnati, Houston, UCF leaving, it might have ended up equal. Correct. Um, That being said, at least for the initial, like you said, Ben, the initial, you know, two, three, maybe even four or five years of this new American conference, this new college football landscape, I do think the Mountain West will have the best talent out of the group of five with consistent competitors in Boise State, assuming Boise State doesn't get a Big 12 invite, as it has not yet, with consistent competitors like San Diego State, and then your even your inconsistent competitors in Air Force and Fresno State and those guys. Like, I think the Mountain West thinks it's onto something and about to get a lot more um, group of five bids, uh, group of five New Year's six bids, and that might be what's driving this right here. I do think I do agree that this was the best move for the American in the moment, having been declined by a bunch of those Mountain West teams that they never said they formally extended invites to. But let's be real. The American was kind of hoping that at least some of them would come because they're trying to expand their reach. Um, It's a tough situation. I think the American is actually on the upswing with this. Yeah, sure. Their talent's going to take a downward trend. But in the long term, I think this is going to help them out. Well, and then the other thing you got to think about, I mean, every every conference has its up and down teams, even power five conferences. Look at Auburn from year to year. Look at LSU, Florida. They have not been consistent just talking about the SEC, right? In the Big Ten, look at how Northwestern's kind of gone up and down. Iowa. You can look across every conference and even the Mountain West. Their last champion was San Jose State last year. Where did they come from, right? This idea that just because a team is bad right now means they're going to be bad forever is absolutely ridiculous, and that by no means makes it a bad addition. Things can turn around very quickly with a change of scenery being a conference in this point. I don't know. I the it's not all gloom and doom for the American Athletic Conference, in my opinion. No, I I agree, and actually, I'm going to agree with you even more so than you think. Here, like you said, just because you're a bad team currently does not mean you're a bad team the entire time you are jumping from conference USA to the American conference, which means your recruiting success is going to jump at least two or three fold. So you're going to be able to make that progress. 
the American is really good at recruiting right now. It's making a very good name for itself as that group of five with three stars, four stars. Now these other schools that haven't been able to get those types of commits are going to be able to. So I agree with you 100%. Yeah, being a successful team for a year or two doesn't make as big of a difference as having a big TV market and having some big coffers. Getting a big old nice-sized treasury on your side helps a lot. That's why we saw Cincinnati go to the Big 12, and teams like Memphis were left behind. They just don't have enough money. So let's talk about what's going to happen to Conference USA now. They're down to eight teams after this move. Maybe down even more than that. I've heard one rumor saying Southern Miss and Marshall are looking to join the Sun Belt. I've heard another rumor that it's going to be Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee State. Out of those options, Southern Miss and Marshall sound way better for the Sun Belt, but if Middle Tennessee, If Middle Tennessee State could just not, that'd probably be best for everybody. Wow. Really hating on the Blue Raiders, huh? The, we just talked about how when it's just because a team's bad right now doesn't mean they're gonna be bad forever. That is MTSU to a T right now. But but they have been historically bad. Like, wow, true hater. MTSU fans, I need you to pile on Tug here. That go ahead, <laughs> listen to this podcast and pile on me. I would love it. But either way, if two of those teams out of the remaining Conference USA do leave for the Sun Belt. I believe the Conference USA was six teams, and that's just playing on not enough. How many do you need to get an automatic bin bid to the NCAA tournament? Ten. So I believe it's ten. Need for, at least for basketball, four more is, teams yeah. there, if right? I think it might be time to bring up some FCS schools. <laughs> I don't USA. know. You are really good at this. Please take our advice this time. (laughs) I mean, the last couple they've brought up have been pretty successful. Speaking of those, by the way, Appalachian State and Coastal Carolina, now in the Sun Belt, put on a hell of a show last night as we're recording this. That Wednesday game was incredible. If you missed it, shame on you. You got to pay more attention because midweek college football action happens every week and it's always amazing most of the time like tuesday and wednesday we're talking about some action this time we're talking about action fun belt down in coastal carolina appalachian state wins on a time expiring field goal just incredible loved every second of it so if we can get that like jmu villanova in conference usa that kind of midweek action i would be all for it <laughs> you love to see it. You really do. Honestly, <laughs> if this game would have been on a Saturday, it would have been my game to watch. App State, Coastal Carolina. Jeez. I, you would have had to fight me for it because I was thinking the same thing when I saw it <laughs> on the list and I realized it was last night as I was looking at everything. And I was just a little upset. But I think that's about does it for our news segment here. I think we're ready to go ahead and talk about our college previews. What do you say? Oh, man, I'm excited. Let's get into it. I love college football so much that I picked an entire game to watch that I'm going to share with you guys. And you know what? My co-hosts did the same thing. It's incredible. It's almost like we do this every week. 
So, who wants to go first? We have games to watch. We have players to watch. Who wants to go first? Let's get into it. You know what? I'll, I'll go first here because I am taking a homer pick. Uh, fun fact, it is a BDT uh, ranked matchup, but you guys don't get to know the actual rankings because that is reserved for our Patreon members. Both of them uh, are just outside that top 10. <laughs> no freebies. <laughs> so so I'm looking at this. I'm taking uh, San Diego State traveling down to Colorado Springs, take on the Air Force Falcons here. Guys, I cannot stress how big of a matchup this is in the Mountain West Conference this year. Uh, both teams are either undefeated or have one loss in conference. Both teams are nearing the top of their division in conference. So this very well could be a Mountain West Championship game preview. More importantly, this is a strength versus strength matchup all the way across the board. Uh, San Diego State has a top end rushing game. Air Force has the top rushing game in the nation. Uh, San Diego State has the top rushing defense in the nation. And Air Force has a top 10 rushing defense in the nation. This is going to be a very interesting game all the way across. The matchup is very intriguing. And more importantly, this might be the fastest college football game you've ever seen. What I will give away for free is that these are the two highest ranked teams out of the Mountain West in the BDT ratings. So, yes, it should be a pretty awesome game. Very much looking forward to it myself. I have a kind of a similar pick here. Not a conference game, though. Looking at Wake Forest at Army. What a wild non-conference game. What a weird time for it. Just, I have a weird feeling this is going to be way closer than it ought to be. Wake Forest is undefeated. Again, no reason they should be undefeated. Where did they come from? Nobody knows. But where do they go? Thank you. <laughs> um, they are in the top 10 in our BDT ratings. Again, why? How? No one can tell me. No one can tell me. Uh, they are our number seven team. AP poll doesn't believe in them yet. I don't blame them. But if they are legit, they will go in and stomp Army. If they are not legit, this will be a very difficult game. Army does that to people. So like Wisconsin, it was a six-point a six game with Army, right? I mean, that's Wisconsin's a decent enough team, but Army is going to give you fits if you're a decent team. If you're a good team, you can handle them. But, man, I, this is going to be kind of a measuring stick for Wake Forest. That sounds weird because it's like a totally unranked Army team. No one's even voting for them at all in any poll. That's what Army does. So I think this is going to be a very interesting game. Yeah, you know, this was actually one of the games I was looking at, too. Uh, I just couldn't bring myself to pick Army, as weird as that sounds. I just, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't want to take an Army game. That being said, my game, USC traveling to number 13 Notre Dame, battle for the jeweled shillelagh. I love this matchup. It's one of my favorite rivalries. I think I talked about it a little bit when we were doing our rivalries bracket last year. I'm excited to see kind of how this plays out because rivalries always bring out the best in every team. We say it all the time on this show. Notre Dame has not looked amazing this year. They've looked better, more deserving of the ranking that they have than they generally do. That's always helpful. Always love to see that. But USC... 
I don't know what's really going on with them after last year, making it to the Pac-12 championship. Haven't really been able to get out of first gear, it seems like, at times. Notre Dame, though, been the same way, just been a little bit better the past few years and able to ride their name more than USC has been. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting game. I could really see this one going either way, but I'll take us right into our picks here. That being said, I'm still going to take Notre Dame, right? I don't think Notre Dame drops two at home. I especially don't think they drop a rivalry game at home after already losing to Cincinnati at home earlier this year. I'm also going to take Wake Forest. I say it every time we bring Wake Forest up, people are sleeping on Sam Howell, or sorry, Sam Hartman, because they're so focused on Sam Howell. I even did it. There's no way that I can legitimately pick Army here because I do like Sam Hartman that much. And if Wake Forest has made it undefeated this far, it does seem like Army would be able to be the ones to spoil it. I just don't think they're going to let themselves get tripped up like that. I think they're going to be focused enough to get the job done. Last but not least, I am going to take the Academy, the Air Force Academy Falcons here. Playing at home, yeah, San Diego State's number 22 in the nation, according to the AP poll. Yeah, they probably are a better team, but the thing Air Force does better than the other two academies is their pass defense is so much better, stifling. And honestly, from what I've seen between Navy and Air Force, Air Force has a lot better grip on this triple option this year than Navy does. I haven't seen Army play yet, so I can't really compare them there. Air Force does enough right that I think they're going to be able to get this one, pull this one out, and being at home is only going to help that. I'll roll into my picks here. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think Notre Dame is in a better situation. Not just I don't think they're going to drop one at home. More like USC is kind of in disarray right now. They have an interim head coach. I have a lot more faith in Notre Dame putting together a reasonably complete football game than I do USC right now. Granted, it is a rivalry game, so you never know which way it's going to go, but my pick is behind Notre Dame. Doug, you highlighted some of the big things about Army. Uh, One of the things that I want to highlight is why they're able to keep all of these games close. And it's the same reason why, you know, when Air Force plays Michigan, Air Force keeps it close for three quarters. When Navy plays Notre Dame, Navy keeps it close for, you know, three quarters, if not the whole game. And it's that ball control offense that they have. Coming into this game against Wake Forest, I'm expecting Army to maintain possession of that ball for at least 40 minutes of the game, if not 45 minutes. That being said, Notre uh, Wake Forest can be a quick strike offense. They are not really known for it, but Army doesn't really have defensive backs, which means you just need one or two passes to go your way. It's all that uh, Wisconsin had. It's all they needed. I'm a big fan of ball control. That's why I wear boxer briefs. <laughs> It's valid. It's very valid. Uh, with that be with all of that being said, I am taking Wake Forest in this matchup because I do think it. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I don't know if I believe that Wake Forest is legit. I think Army's going to control the ball for enough of the game to keep it to a one possession game. I just don't think Army will be able to make the defensive stop in the air that they're going to need to make to win this game. I'm going Wake Forest on that one. Ben, you are highlighting a lot of things I love about Air Force this year. Air Force does not make mistakes, man. 
They are a very controlled team. They're not going to give you cheap penalties the entire game. Once again, that triple option offense, they are going to control the football. San Diego State has an issue going into Air Force. The recipe to beat Air Force, as proven by Utah State, is to throw the ball up and hope their defensive backs make the mistake that they are prone to make. San Diego State, as I've already said, is a rushing offense primarily this year. Greg Bell is their bell cow, uh, no pun intended. And and honestly, I don't know if that's going to work for them this week, especially on the road at Air Force at the altitude that they're going to be at. A lot of people will say, hey, altitude doesn't matter as much as you think it does. Man, when you're coming from basically sea level in San Diego to 7,000 feet, that's going to have a massive impact on how you are able to run the ball and how you are able to perform that game. All of those factors combined, Air Force's propensity for not making mistakes, they've only had a couple triple option issues this year, as you've already said. This is Air Force's game to lose, and they need this win. So with this already being a must-win game in the eyes of Air Force, being at home with a favorable matchup the way I see it, this is going to be an Air Force game. My turn. And uh, let's start off with the easy ones. I agree basically everything you guys said about Notre Dame. They should win this game. I'm going to take Notre Dame. Wake Forest should win this game against Army. I just think it's going to be an interesting one to watch. I want to see how they perform. I'm taking Wake Forest. Here's where we differ. You guys are taking Air Force. I'm taking San Diego State. Why? They are the more talented team. We've all kind of agreed on that. It's just kind of the environment, the situation. You guys are picking Air Force. I understand that. I'm going to take the more talented team. So right now, that would be San Diego State. I like that defense a lot. I like the running game a lot. Both teams have a good dose of both of that. But... San Diego State is one of the like traditional powers of the Mountain West at this point, it feels like. They always know how to handle this kind of situation. That coach has been there long enough. He knows what to do. So I'm going to take San Diego State here. Hopefully that doesn't bite me. But, you know, I just – I respect where you guys are coming from a lot. I like this game a lot. I'm very interested to see how this one turns out. But I have to stick with the talent. Hey, and, and being me, who absolutely hates San Diego State, like I, I actually do. I almost hate them as much as I hate Boise State, uh, which is only about half as much as I hate Navy and Army. Um, I also agree that Yusafa didn't need a complete sweep on our picks this week. So I, I actually approve of your pick to be that differentiating because that's how close this game is going to be this week. Let's go ahead and talk about some bonus games because there's more than just three great games out there this weekend. Do you want to talk about Alabama going to stomp the shit out of Tennessee? It's always an exciting time. We all hate Tennessee on here. Um, is is it the third Saturday of the month? It must be. Tennessee's playing in a game. Technically, it's the fourth Saturday of October right now, but they call yeah. it the third Saturday of October. God, I, mean, I hate they them. Does count. that really count as the second? I, I don't know. I, we just chalk it up to Tennessee's education is subpar. Uh, Wisconsin at number 25, Purdue. That's right. The ranked team in this matchup is not Wisconsin. It is Purdue. That's wild. I'm rooting for Purdue, i got to say. That would be really cool. <laughs> um, 
Number 10, Oregon at UCLA. Number 10, Oregon is the underdog in this one. Pretty wild. I was going to say, another matchup that probably shouldn't be on here, but for some reason, because it's in the Pac-12, it's going to be a good game. (laughs) Just how that goes. For some reason, this is going to end up like triple overtime. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is going to like do some somersaults and end up 30 feet in the air, crossing the goal line. I'm just going to say you as an Ohio State fan need Oregon to win this game. No, I don't. I could. I would be totally fine with them pulling a 2014 Virginia Tech, losing like four or five games, and us just dominating the rest of the way and still making the playoff. I'm perfectly okay with that. <laughs> uh, Clemson at number 23 Pitt. Similar situation that Wisconsin-Purdue game. The unexpected team is ranked here. Pretty interesting. I want to see if Pitt can actually hold their own here. Clemson's only saving grace is their defense so far. That offense is atrocious. But Pitt's offense, on the other hand, is the best part of that team. Strength on strength is going to be very interesting, especially for the current Heisman favorite quarterback out of Pitt. What a weird sentence that was. Um <laughs> Also have number eight, Oklahoma State, going to Iowa State. Iowa State had a lot of hype going into the season. Super senior quarterback, super senior running back. You know, very supposed to be a very good offense. That tight end room was very good for Iowa State. They dropped a couple of bad games here. And now this one has seemingly lost a little bit of its luster. Iowa State's still a pretty good team. Watch out for them, especially in Ames. Oklahoma State's undefeated. Let's see if that can hold up. And I do have one more FBS game to talk about here. And I know it sounds like a homer pick. It's not. I'll have this for a very specific reason. Number five, Ohio State at Indiana. Should be an interesting game. I know Indiana is two and four. Hear me out on this. There is legitimate thinking here. Indiana, everyone coming into the season, pegged them at about the 20th, 25th, 20th best team in the country. They were ranked 17 in the preseason A people because there were you know, some questions on other teams in that range. Everyone kind of knew they were about the 20th best team in the country. I still think that's probably pretty true. They are talented enough to be in that range. Look at the four teams that they have lost to. All four of them are in the top 11 of the AP poll. (laughs) Brutal schedule for Indiana. They lost to Iowa, who ended up at number two at one point. They lost to Cincinnati, who is currently number two. They lost to Penn State, who's number six right now. And they lost to Michigan State, who's number nine right now. Just absolutely brutal. This week, they have number five, Ohio State. Next week, they have a potentially still ranked Purdue. And the week after that, they have a top 10 team in that team up north. Absolutely brutal schedule. I still believe Indiana is on the rise. This season, they had 0% chance of proving that with their record. So don't count Indiana out just yet. This probably ends up as like a three-score game. Ohio State is better than them. But at the same time, Indiana is pretty decent. Don't let two and four fool you. This is a big telling game for Ohio State, too. This is their first even semi-test since Oregon when you break it all down. 
I know they've had a bunch of big in-conference wins, but they also have a monkey on their back from their last game at Indiana where it came down to, what was it, overtime or a two-point conversion? It was a close game last year. Ohio State needs to throw this one off if they want to continue to have this massive season that they're they're poised for. Absolutely agree. As per usual, do want to highlight some FCS games as well. Some good ones this weekend. Number seven, James Madison at number 23, Delaware. Should be pretty good. That conference game, man, it's starting to catch up at JMU. They need to start winning again, you know, after one loss. Don't want to get down on too much. But come on, JMU, where are you at? Jacksonville State at number one, Sam Houston. Sam Houston has not lost in a long time. (laughs) Jacksonville State's pretty good. Let's see if they can give them a challenge. It is at Sam Houston, though. We'll see. Number 18, Rhode Island at number five, Villanova. I know Rhode Island's going to be looking to bounce back in a big way, but this is a pretty tough matchup to do so. Go Rams. Number 20, Northern Iowa is at number six, South Dakota State. Missouri Valley, I mean, it is what it is at this point. Always some good games in there. Did want to highlight Ivy League, though. Undefeated Harvard at undefeated number 22, Princeton, this week as well. Who would have thought the Ivy League, after taking a whole year off last year, was going to have like four undefeated teams at this point in the season? Harvard and Princeton is probably going to be the best one out of that league for a couple of weeks, though. Excited for this one. The the Ivy League did the statistics last year, and they thought it. Wow. They are smarter than me. <laughs> it's kind of a little bar to set there. I'm just saying. Got me. Fun fact. I, I actually have a fun fact here. Um, flag football, intramural flag football up here uh, in South Dakota. I actually played against a dude who played for Harvard back in college. Uh, we got our butts whooped, but uh, that's just a cool little fun fact. I know of two people who played football at Harvard, uh, Kyle Juszczyk and Ryan Fitzpatrick. I know one that broke my ankle my senior year of high school. He doesn't play anymore, but um, he did play for Harvard. Very exciting stuff. Riveting content. That's why you subscribe to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. Let's talk talk about our players to watch here. Uh, We each have one, and who wants to start? I, I took the low-hanging fruit and kept it with my matchup this week. Um, man, I already told you guys, the telling of this game, Air Force at uh, San Diego State at Air Force, is going to come down to the rushing game for both teams. So I'm looking specifically at Greg Bell. He's the running back out of San Diego State. He is the lead back out at San Diego State. He's been having a massive year. He's got 500 yards already on the season. But this is a strength versus strength matchup. If Doug is to be right and San Diego State is to pull this out, Greg Bell is going to need to have a massive game against the number 10 rushing defense in the NCAA. It is not going to be an easy task to fulfill, but is one that is very well within his grasp. I think he can have a big game. I'm looking for it. I'm watching out for it as an Air Force fan as much as I hope Air Force wins. He's the guy I'm watching in that in that matchup. Yeah, I'll go next. Uh, I'm actually taking a defensive player. I'm taking a defensive player in the NFL as well. I'm going to UTSA, taking the safety of Rashad Wisdom. 
Now, he only has two pass breakups because people just don't want to throw in the vicinity of this guy. That doesn't mean he's not having a great season. Amazing tackler. He's had over 40 tackles this season. And they're playing Louisiana Tech. Now, they haven't been so good this year, but that doesn't mean that they're going to continue into this week. This is a big game for them, a team that typically is near the top of the Conference USA going against the number one team in Conference USA. I expect Louisiana Tech to bring something out this week. And Rashad Wisdom is going to have to have a great game to make sure that they aren't able to fully exploit whatever they're able to pull out of their hat this week. I am taking a wide receiver. I'm also going to take a wide receiver in the NFL. So you asked a little bit before what was going on with USC, a little bit up and down to start the season. One of the big things that happened to them, Keaton Slovis went down with an injury. He was out for a little while. He's back slinging it like nobody's business. Why not talk about his number one target? Six foot five, Drake London. This guy is a manimal in every sense of the word. Looking like a first round draft pick for sure. I love that size as a wide receiver. Six foot five. Makes my heart sing. I need him to get some touchdowns this week. He only has five touchdowns on the year. He has the yards to back up his claim as one of the best receivers in the country. Does not have the touchdowns for it. If USC wants to be in this game, he needs to find the end zone. He's six foot five. Get you some scores, man. What are you doing? Hey, Keaton Slovis, when you get into the red zone, look Drake London's way. He has the size advantage, I promise you. Perfect for fade routes, right? Something like that. You say that jokingly, but it's 100% true. Uh, Maybe I wasn't joking. (laughs) I think that's all we got for college, though. Let's go ahead and jump in the NFL. Hopefully you know the deal by now. Same as we did for college. We got some games to watch in the NFL, some players to watch in in the NFL. I'm going to start us off here because I have a really weird one. I'm taking Washington at Green Bay. Why? No good reason. Green Bay really ought to destroy them. At the same time, I just think this game is going to be interesting. I think a big part of that comes down to how cocky Aaron Rodgers is getting, and I just want to see him put in his place a little bit. If there's any front seven who can accomplish that, I'm hoping it's Washington's. That's the only good thing about this team. So defensive backs... Not very good. The entire offense, not very good. That front seven, maybe they can smack Aaron Rodgers around a little bit. That's worth watching. So, you know, I, I'm just kind of hoping here. I think it might be a better game than people are going to give it credit for just because that defense. But, yeah, it's at Green Bay. Green Bay probably should win this. I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. I'll go next here. I'm going to take up the uh, Cincy-Baltimore game. The reason I'm going here uh, rather than letting Ben go is I need to apologize to our fans uh, because I absolutely hate highlighting a team in a game to watch two weeks in a row. But here's the thing. The matchups in the NFL this week really aren't all that intriguing, if if I'm being completely honest. But Cincinnati has shown me something all season that has piqued my interest. Uh more importantly, Baltimore is still a fantastic team. This game has massive impacts down the road. 
Cincinnati is a better team than I think all of us thought they were. Um, and hey, whoever wins this game not only takes the outright lead in the and uh in the AFC North, they also get a head-to-head lead on the other team, and that is you cannot overstate that. Uh, this is going to be a dog weight, uh, dog fight, dog weight. This is going to be a dog fight the entire game. It's going to be brutal for both teams, and I'm interested to see how this one turns out. Well, I'm going to go with one that we've had circled since the preseason here, and that's Chiefs at Titans. Now, the Chiefs haven't looked as good as we expected. For that matter, the Titans haven't either. What has looked good is Derrick Henry, and he is just getting started. The flip side of this is Patrick Mahomes has a lot of cleaning up to do in his game. Titans still struggle with pass defense. This could be the week for Patrick Mahomes to kind of get things back on track here. Problem is, are the Chiefs going to be able to slow Derrick Henry down? Probably not. He's going to find some point in the game where he decides to take it to the next level, and there's nothing they're going to be able to do about it. However, if Patrick Mahomes cleans it up, gets a big enough lead, might not matter. I think it's going to be a pretty fun game to watch. And once again, I'll take it straight into the picks here. I am still going to take Tennessee on this one because I I, I trust Derrick Henry more than I trust Patrick Mahomes at this point in the season. That's really all it comes down to. I know there's so many other guys on these teams, defenses especially. This is not a game between just Patrick Mahomes and Derrick Henry. I trust the Titans' pass defense a little bit more than I trust any defense trying to stop Derrick Henry. I'm also going to take Washington. You know why I'm taking Washington. And then last but not least, I'm going to take Baltimore. Cincinnati, man, they are such an interesting team this year. They lose games they should win. They found a way to lose the game to the Packers that they should have won. And I I don't think they're going to win one that they shouldn't win. Lamar Jackson is just on a different level. Joe Burrow, as good as he is, and as good as that connection with Jamar Chase has gotten, I just don't see it being enough to beat the Ravens right now. They're clicking on all cylinders. I'm going with Baltimore here. So I pretty much agree with everything you said there, Ben. I'm going to say the Titans and the Ravens may very well end up being come from behind wins. That seems to be their MO this season. So maybe Cincinnati gets out to a little bit of an early lead. Lamar Jackson's going to create some magic the second half like he does. Maybe Kansas City comes out hot. Maybe Patrick Holmes slings a few. Derrick Henry gets going, though. It's hard to stop him, right? I'm also taking Washington. Again, no idea why. Legitimately do not trust my opinion on this one. I'm taking Washington. I don't even believe it myself. I want to see this happen. And... I would love for nothing more than for Aaron Rodgers to get put in his place a little bit at this point. I'm just kind of sick of his shtick. Well, this week is either going to go really well for me or really, really poorly. Uh, Because I'm in disagreement with you guys on just about every level. Ben, you're right. I have some serious concerns about Kansas City's ability to stop Derrick Henry and stop the rush. That being said, my concerns about Tennessee actually deciding to play pass defense for the first time in about two or three years concerns me more. Uh, I'm going Kansas City on this one. Patrick Mahomes is going to start figuring it out, especially against a weaker 
secondary out in Tennessee. And he's still got Tyreek, who can make plays happen in about three seconds. Derrick Henry still takes about 15 seconds to run down the field. That's an over-exaggeration. He really takes, like, way less than that. But Tyreek can still make a play happen in about two or three seconds and all of a sudden be six on the board. You forget Derrick Henry has the fastest clock speed of any NFL player so far this season. That That is true. These these are facts that are currently uh, uh, currently true. Um, Green Bay, I guys, Washington has disappointed me all season. I'm not about to start believing in them in a game that should easily be Green Bay's. Now, that being said, as Green Bay jacked me up on this before, I'm looking at you week one. Yeah, yes, they have. But I still have more faith in Green Bay with Devontae Adams, with Aaron Jones, with Aaron Rodgers than I do with Washington's defense really relying on that pass rush. Aaron Rodgers has shown that pass rushes really don't affect him as much as they do other quarterbacks. And he's able to able to get away with some throws that I don't think I ever would have seen again. I would normally agree with you, but not like this green Bay team has the talent and that's why they're winning. They have not been playing well all year. I, I, I don't know what it is. This just does not look like the good green Bay teams that we've unfortunately been seeing for the past 10 years. They're really riding I, on their talent. I will grant you that. I will 100% agree with you on that. That being said, it seems like Washington has been trying to pull the same thing. And I will take green Bay's talent over Washington talents every day of the week. That's absolutely fair, and I probably agree with you. I'm still taking Washington for no reason. <laughs> like I, everything you just said, Ben, I have no issues with. I agree 100. percent I'll take Green Bay's talent over Washington talent. Washington's talent. That's just me. Um, I refuse. Now, I I understand. I now look at Baltimore and Cincinnati, and this, like I said, man, I did not know how to initially pick this matchup. I kind of am going with Cincy here partially to give them a vote because it is going to be a close game. It might be a comeback game. It might not be. I misspoke earlier. This is not for the outright uh, AFC North uh, division lead. If Cincy wins, they will tie Baltimore at five and two each with a game ahead, which is absolutely massive. Here's the thing. I have had some serious concerns about Baltimore secondary this year. They have not been playing fantastic, especially early in the game. They tend to give up big plays that they shouldn't. Now, you guys are right. Lamar Jackson has had this comeback propensity that I have not seen in years from any quarterback. Which is what makes this game so very interesting to me. That being said, I do think since he gets out early, I think they get up big early. And I think they I think they pull this one out in a one-score close game. That's going to be my vote on this one. I'm going to stick to it. And, uh, yeah, that that's where I'm at. If that happens, that is legitimately going to be the wildest thing I will have seen this season. No, you, we all saw the goddamn knuckleball kick <laughs> from Matt Wright. I don't want to hear the wildest <laughs> thing we've seen this year. Speaking of Matt Wright, much like uh... – Miles Garrett, he's getting drug tested this week. I can only assume it's because his massive guns from going sleeveless too, right? 
Absolutely. <laughs> Dude is yoked. <laughs> he actually just makes Miles Garrett looks like he lifts baby weights. Right? <laughs> I hate both of you, and Doug, I hate you a little bit more for making me bring that up as the wildest thing of the NFL season. You're welcome. Um, bonus game this week. I almost picked this as my game to watch. Again, shouldn't really be a good game, but it might be for no reason. The Bears at the Buccaneers just feels like a game that might get away from Tampa Bay for some reason. Not sure why. I just, I'm probably wrong. I have been wrong most of the time with the NFL. It just, it's the way this is going for me. I mean, we were talking about it a little bit before we started the show. The Bucks run defense is one of the best in the league. The Bears, in spite of their offensive line, have the seventh best rushing offense in the league. So I don't know that the matchup's going to favor the Bears at all there, but what will be interesting is if the reins finally get loosened and the shackles get, and take, get taken off Justin Fields in this offense because this Bucks pass defense is not good. I say all that, and the Bears' pass defense is almost as bad. And despite the fact that Gronk and uh, Antonio Brown are still question marks for this week, Brady's still going to eat. So I don't know. It. You're right. I could see this end up magically being a good game, but this is only the second game from my preseason predictions that I thought the Bears would lose, and I haven't changed my mind on that. To you know, leading into today. Is Matt Nagy still the head coach of the Bears? Yeah, he probably will be all year. Good. Um, then the shackles are still on Justin Fields. Boom. Got him. All right. I'll start us with our players, though. I am once again sticking to my game to watch. This is a dude I don't think we've highlighted this year. I don't remember highlighting him, any of us this year. But honestly, he has to be the favorite for the offensive rookie of the year at this point. Jamar Chase had a very bad preseason. Like, I cannot express to you how bad his preseason was. Coming out with quotes like, I can't see the ball as well because the NFL ball doesn't have the white stripe, therefore I can't catch. These were the quotes coming out of preseason. Come into the NFL season, Jamar Chase is lighting it up, running down the field, getting blocks for Joe Mixon, catching balls, catching touchdowns, deep balls, doesn't matter. He is all over the field. I'm expecting another big game from him, especially if Cincinnati wants to have a chance in this one. I had a joke. I had a joke and I forget it. So go ahead. (laughs) Okay. I'll go next and I'll take uh, JJ Watt defensive end out of Arizona. And uh, the reason I'm taking JJ Watt is because of some comments he's made this week about his former team, the Houston Texans, who, by the way, the Arizona Cardinals are playing this week. I think he is absolutely going to tear up their offensive line, but big but there is a chance that maybe from seeing this guy practice and having played with him for a few years, they find some success and are able to slow him down. Do I think that's very likely? No, but it is. And I don't think it's completely outside the realm of possibility here. I'm excited to see how this one plays out. And You know, J.J. Watt, he said he's sad seeing how the Houston Texans, how much they fall and how bad they are. So definitely a storyline here. This was very much a storyline pick for me. Understandable. I have also picked J.J. Watt at some point this season, and he let me down. So I hope that's not the case for you. 
I like J.J. Watt. Hope to see him succeed. My player to watch, like I said before, it's going to be a wide receiver. This guy is very quietly leading the league in catches and in receiving touchdowns. He's also second in receiving yards right now. Who am I talking about? Because no one has mentioned this name like all year anywhere. Cooper Cup. Wild. Matt Stafford has made such a huge difference to this Rams offense. It is unreal. Watching how bad Jared Goff looks in Detroit ought to tell you something because Matt Stafford even made it look like bearable in Detroit. (laughs) Matt Stafford is on a whole other level, and Cooper Cup is certainly feeling the effects. This guy is on pace for the receiving triple crown if he can keep us up the catches, yards, and touchdowns. So very exciting to see. Hoping for a big game out of him, especially against that Lions team that I was just talking about. Man, that pass defense is not good. So maybe Cooper Cup's going to eat. Uh, that'd be fun to see. You're, you're better than I am, Doug, because I would have picked the storyline matchup of Matt Stafford returning to play against Detroit there. But uh, see, I, I approve of your of, pick. I kind of still picked that, but I went a little bit more specific. <laughs> Cooper Cup, the uh, surprise wide receiver one in fantasy this year. Absolutely. Out of nowhere. Could have got him in like the fourth round probably, and now he's better than all of my entire strategy. I think I got him in like the fifth round. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's going to do it for the NFL. So are we ready to move on? I think we are, and it's my favorite time of the week. Most wonderful time of the episode. Welcome to bracket time for our greatest Heisman winners of all time. Are you boys ready to jump right on into it? You know it, man. I love bracket time. All right. Let's start off with our first matchup of the week. We have Marcus Mariota, the quarterback out of Oregon in 2014, taking on George Rogers, the running back out of South Carolina in 1980. Guys, Twitter went 100% with Marcus Mariota. What are you guys thinking? I'm going to say they're probably right. Marcus Mariota was incredible in 2014. People forget about how good he was. This dude was efficient. He was a great passer, and he was equally effective on the ground on his own. And that run game for Oregon, too, that running back was very good. But Marcus Mariota was probably their leading rusher that year. Like, crazy good. Crazy good season. Yeah, I, I can't disagree. And I do want to try and give George Rogers some credit. Uh, you know, obviously he beat Pat Sullivan in the last round. It's a tough matchup for anybody, really, because Marcus Mariota was that special in his uh, senior season at Oregon. Ran that offense to perfection. I I don't know how you pick against this dude, honestly. Marcus Mariota is the reason Chip Kelly got an NFL job. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 90% of the Heisman vote, I mean, that's just... <laughs> it's going to be... Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and I know I know that's how we, we did our rankings. That's how we split this bracket up. But man, like you, that's going to be tough to beat. That's going to be really tough to beat. All right, so Marcus Mariota moves on to take on the winner of our next matchup. We have... Sam Bradford, quarterback out of Oklahoma in 2008, and the 1975 version of Archie Griffin, running back out of Ohio State. Guys, Twitter went with Sam Bradford here. 
I don't know if I disagree with that. What are you guys thinking? Yeah, it pains me to say, but 1975 Archie should not have won. 74 Archie deserved it, but 75, it probably should have gone to either Ricky Bell or Tony Dorsett. Either one of those would have been better picks to me. I, I got to give this one to Sam Bradford. He was the better player in the year that we're talking about. 74 Archie against Sam Bradford might be a closer conversation. This one, I'm going to give it to Sam Bradford. I'm going to give it to Sam Bradford, too. And you mentioned Ricky Bell and Tony Dorsett. The guy got second, Chuck Muncie. Also equally lackluster stats, we'll call it. Ten more rushing yards than Archie Griffin on about 40 fewer attempts, just under 40 fewer attempts. And he had nine more touchdowns, right? I, it's awesome that Archie Griffin's the only two-time winner. I don't know what they were thinking giving it to him in 75, though. So, actually, I kind of know the story, if you want to know the story. It was still pretty customary to give the Heisman Trophy to a senior in this era, Archie Griffin was incredible in 74. They went ahead and gave it to him as a junior. So going into his senior season, everyone's like, well, Archie Griffin is the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. If he has another good season, let's give it back to Archie Griffin. And his stats were bad enough that even though he won, that never happened again. I don't think that ever will happen again either, right? It's like you, you're not the incumbent anymore. It's just it's a refresh every season, which is how it should be. And so, yeah, Sam Bradford's going to move on here. <laughs> that gives us Marcus Mariota taking on Sam Bradford the next time we visit this end of the bracket. That being said, let's move on to our next matchup. We have Kyler Murray the quarterback out of Oklahoma in 2018 versus Eric Crouch, the quarterback out of Nebraska in 2001. Twitter went with Kyler Murray in a close vote. What are you guys thinking? Eric Crouch walked so that Kyler Murray could run. He did everything Eric Crouch did just 10 times better. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think this is a better matchup than probably the other two we've had so far. Eric Crouch had a great season. He had some pretty crazy numbers for 2001 as well. But I still, I I agree. We still got to give it to Kyler Murray here. There's no real debate here. It is crazy what Oklahoma's been able to produce at the quarterback positions. Like, absolutely crazy. And just in our lifetime, even, we haven't really even talked about some of the older guys and that built the tradition there. The current state of Oklahoma football, insanity. We have another Oklahoma quarterback coming up on this side of the bracket, too. Just absolutely wild. But before we get there, we have another matchup as Kyler Murray moves on. We have Tim Tebow, the quarterback out of Florida in 2007, which, guys, let me tell you, that makes me feel old realizing how long ago he won the Heisman. (laughs) Taking on Billy Cannon, the halfback out of LSU in 1959. Twitter went 100% with uh, Timmy Tebow. Where are you guys going? It's hard to put into real context the kind of stats that Billy Cannon had because you look at the numbers, purely the numbers. He had like 600 yards rushing, whatever. That doesn't feel like a Heisman-worthy season. We're talking about 1959. 
we're talking about a completely different kind of football, a different era of football against just totally different rules. Billy Cannon was a fantastic football player. At the same time, Tim Tebow did, did things that we couldn't even dream of in 2007, right? He revolutionized the game in our lifetimes. Insane. Loved everything about watching Tim Tebow at Florida, even as he beat my Ohio State Buckeyes in that national championship. Dude was just electric. And he was the first sophomore to win the Heisman, right? Maybe. I'm not sure of that, but I think you might be right. I'm like 90% sure he was the first sophomore to win the Heisman, which elevates it even more, in my opinion, with what he was able to do that season with the guys that were on that team. Just a killer season all around for the Florida Gators. I hate you. I hate everything about you right now. Do not taint the do not taint the name of the Lord Jesus second coming himself with that. Tim Tebow was great, man. And I I would even have a I'm gonna have a hard time voting against Tim Tebow as we go on into this bracket. I'm gonna have a hard time voting against him to go with Kyler Murray because I don't I don't know that I can. I just remember how electric he was that season. I think one of the big things too, and like this is we're gonna pick more recent players because we remember all the talk and hype about them. It's not even so much just looking at the stats. Again, I'll probably talk about this in a few weeks when we get back to it. There was no other college football player people were talking about in 2007. Besides Tim Tebow. You know, I'm still amazed he didn't win a second one, honestly. But man, he was something else in 2007. Isn't it sacrilegious to knock Tim Tebow out of the bracket? (laughs) Borderline. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) All right. That means Kyler Murray will take on Tim Tebow in the next Wow. Time we visit this division of the bracket. But moving on to the next matchup, we have Baker Mayfield, uh, quarterback out of, you guessed it, Oklahoma in 2017 versus Doc Blanchard, the fullback out of Army in 1945. Guys, Twitter went with Baker Mayfield. Do you agree? Hmm. Probably. <laughs> Even though I planted the flag at Ohio State. I know. I absolutely despise the man for that. At the same time, he kind of earned the right to do that, the way he wiped the, fle- the wiped the field with us that day. Doc Blanchard, just what a, what a story those Army teams were. Coming out of World War II, you had these like 27, 28-year-old war veterans coming back and going, hey, we want to finish our college. Let's get some waivers, go to West Point here, and play some football. You have Doc Blanchard and Glenn Davis just destroying people for two years straight. I love everything about that. At the same time, Baker Mayfield's a better football player. I love Baker Mayfield for a few different reasons. Most of all, you know, he's not playing in this Thursday night game tonight. But when he first got injured, he was still all on board with playing. And it turns out he has 
a dislocated shoulder, torn labrum, and a broken humerus. Like, man broke his funny bone and still wanted to play. All that being said, I think Doc Blanchard would have played through all those injuries. So I'm going to go with Doc Blanchard. (laughs) Unfortunately for you, Ben, it is still two to one. As much as I love your reasoning here, Baker Mayfield is going to move on. Which brings us to our next matchup. You have Rashawn Salam running back out of Colorado in 1994, taking on Mike Rogier, the running back out of Nebraska in 1983. Twitter went with Mike Rogier. Guys, do you agree? I don't know that I do. I really don't know that I do. And, and looking at them head to head, looking at stats, it does lean Mike Rogier. Rashawn Salam had a great season on his own as well. He was obviously a better player in his own season. He is ranked higher in our uh, in our uh, our rankings here as we made as we built this bracket. I think that has to carry some weight for us too. I don't want to get in too much into kind of his demise. Obviously, it's, it sucks. It's part of the story, though. Winning the Heisman out of Colorado versus winning the Heisman out of Nebraska, I think that carries a little bit of weight for me as well. I got to say, though, Alcorn State quarterback Steve McNair, he was third place in Heisman voting. So you had two guys that were at bigger schools. Kajina Carter was at Penn State and Rashawn Salam at Colorado. Those were the top three the year that Salam won. You go look at Mike Rozier, you got two quarterbacks you probably heard of, Steve Young and Doug Flutie behind him. When I look at this, I think Salam was helped by the fact that Steve McNair went to Alcorn State. Otherwise, I think it probably should have gone to him. Warren Sapp's a little bit further down this list. They're never going to give it to a defensive player, let alone a defensive lineman. I mean, we talked about Charles Woodson. That's a different discussion, though. I want to. I'm. I'm leaning more towards Rashawn Salam. I think Rashawn Salam had a fantastic season in 1994. Some of the best stats I've ever seen for a running back. The one guy who beats them in every category is Mike Rozier. Uh, he had more yards by like a hundred. A better average per rush by like an entire one yard per rush, five more touchdowns on the season, and led the team to a more successful season overall. I mean, Colorado won some games with Rashawn Salam back there, but Mike Rozier, oof, that, that era of Nebraska, that was pretty, that was pretty good. <laughs> that was the era for Nebraska. <laughs> We're also talking about beating out Steve Young and Doug Flutie. I know you're talking like maybe Steve McNair would have won it if he went to a bigger name school. Doesn't that push you more towards Mike Rozier? I mean, the fact that he's able to beat out 4,000-yard passer Steve Young is unreal. This dude ran for almost 2,200 yards in a college football season in 1983. Mike Rozier is is the better player. I like Rashawn Salam. I actually really do. I love his story. I mean, apart from the end there. 
Yeah. It it Um, makes it tough to talk about. Really, really a tragic end there. But Mike Rozier, really, I I really do think he's the better player. I got a side with Twitter. That moves on Mike Rozier to take on Baker Mayfield. And Ben, I do got to say, I do agree with Doug. Your argument of, hey, he won because Steve uh, Steve McNair went to Alcorn State really kind of, even if Doug agreed with you there, that probably would have ruined it for me, uh, being the third vote <laughs> as the uh, tiebreaker in a required Twitter vote. Just, I mean, Randy I, Moss I, only didn't win because he went to Marshall. And that doesn't hurt the guy that won it the year. Well, Randy because Moss that guy off. also beat Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. So, I mean, yeah. Fair. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Move, moving on to our next matchup, we have Jameis Winston, the quarterback out of Florida State, taking uh, in 2013, taking on, you guys may have heard this name. It might be an on, on an award somewhere. Doak Walker the halfback at SMU in 1948. Doak Walker took this on the Twitter vote. Guys, do you agree? Yes. In short. I want to agree so badly. But let's be real. Jameis Winston had a very, very, very good season at Florida State. He was a freshman winning the Heisman Trophy, leading Florida State back to the promised land, their first national championship season in forever this was before the era he was like 30 for 30 he was 40 touchdowns 10 interceptions over 4,000 yards and he did some stuff on the ground I mean talk about crab legs this dude was a scrambler so I no you didn't I I did (laughs) I want to go with Doak Walker the stats tell me to go with Jameis Winston. I can't in good conscience take Jameis Winston when we talk about all the great things some of these men did off the field, whether it be in the military or elsewhere, and then ignore all the things that Jameis Winston did off the field that were just awful and criminal in some cases and alleged criminal activities as well. You say that, but at the same time, we moved Johnny Manziel on over Ernie Davis. That's also true. My big thing, too, is we've talked about it with a couple of guys, right? Even with Eric Crouch today. Eric Crouch walked so Kyler Murray could sprint. Doak Walker set the table so much for college football. I don't feel that even taking him out in this, I feel like that has to carry him a little bit further than this round like it is true it's kind of like doke walker sprinted so that james winston could try to keep up (laughs) (laughs) so i well since you already brought it up doke walker sprinted so james winston could steal crap legs hey there we go all right doke walker moves on then (laughs) (laughs) all right doke walker will have a tough matchup in our next round we have Vinny Testaverde, quarterback out of Miami, Florida, in 1986, taking on Charles White, the running back out of USC, in 1979. Gentlemen, what say you? Vinny Testaverde sure does have a hell of a name, right? I mean, that's unforgettable. 
at the same time, Charles White, the absolutely forgettable name, had the better season. Not going to lie. Statistically, Charles White's probably the better player. I, I can't completely disagree with you. 2,000 yards rushing is a big deal in the NFL. It was even a big deal last year at 16 games. It's going to be a big deal this year at 17 games. And Charles White did it in what, 11? 11 or 12, exactly. 12. So, yeah. I mean, it's, man, I I think Twitter might have gotten this one wrong, and I think it's probably on name recognition because these guys are only seven years apart. There's no real recency bias there, right? That surely this is all just, oh, well, we recognize Vinny Testaverde, so we're going with Vinny Testaverde. Yeah, no one else in 1986 had even comparable stats to what Charles Whitehead. I mean, the closest – is probably Paul Palmer out of Temple rushing for 1,800 yards. That's not going to win over you know, national champion contender Vinny Testaverde, Miami, Florida. Right? Kind of the best player on the best team mentality that year. Mm-hmm. Charles White beat out Billy Sims for the award. Billy Sims ended up winning the Heisman in a different year. Beat out Art Schlichter, Ohio State's quarterback who ended up competing for the award every year, taking Ohio State to multiple Rose Bowls. Beat out George Rogers, who we talked about earlier today. I mean, Charles White was in a pretty stacked class. He was the best of that year. And I don't really know for sure if any testimony was the best of his year. Honestly, Jim Harbaugh had better stats that season. Brian Bosworth, linebacker at Oklahoma, was fourth. Dude was incredible. The Boz. I know nobody's going to give it to Brian Bosworth over the quarterback, but at the same time, I don't think Vinny Testaverde really holds a candle to his own Heisman season. Well, you think, uh, or Tug, we convinced you to go against Twitter here? You guys have already brought up the main thing that actually is eye-opening to me, which is, I mean, number one, sure, Charles White came out of USC. In the era of USC being halfback you. That being said, you put up 2,000 yards in 12 games. You're well over 100 yards per game. You're pushing 150 per game at that point, uh, if not more than that. That is absolutely insane. Nobody could stop you. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay pushing on Charles White here. The first time we went against Twitter today, I feel like it was well-deserved. Charles White, hell of a player. And maybe maybe our cards didn't do it justice. Go check it out on Twitter, at BDT Football. Make sure you know who you're voting for here, because Vinny Testaverde, I know that name is sexy, but at the same time, those stats are not. <laughs> All right, guys, that sets up our final matchup the next time we visit this section of the bracket, being Doak Walker versus Charles White, the man who set the standard Versus the man who probably reset the standard. What an amazing matchup this is going to be. I'm pretty sure that's all the time we have for this episode. I know it's been a pretty good one. So I think let's go ahead and wrap it up. Do you guys have any parting shots for us? I know uh, probably got to shout out the links first. We do. We do. And those will be linked in the description below. As always, we have our Patreon 
Facebook.com slash BDT football, Twitter.com slash BDT football, Facebook.com slash BDT football, our website, BDT football.com, and our email mailbox at BDT football.com. You know, I just uh, want to say I was on the NFL carousel this week and uh, it was for show since Alex is passing. Kind of a weird one for me uh, last year. Uh, when the Bears and the Bucks played, I was debating who would win against Alex as a representative for the Buccaneers. So it was a kind of surreal experience, uh, but nonetheless, still a great show and a great way to honor the man to put it all together. That being said, though, you know I'm going to try and end up here on a high note. If H2O is inside a fire hydrant, What's on the outside? Red paint. K9P. Both valid answers. I will say you did not end on as high of a note as SMU did because they just whooped the shit out of Tulane 55-26. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that is all the time we have on the show today. Thank you for listening. And just remember, you can't win a game. Yeah, one of the trenches.